Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. It is Gary on Guns, and um, we've got uh, show and tell coming up, and I'm kind of excited because I can see here what we're doing next, uh, what we'll be showing you. Uh, in the meantime, uh, let me tell you, it's Powderhorn Guns and Archery on board. Jared is in along with Jordan, and uh, guys, there is a lot of chatter about a Supreme Court decision yesterday and the Second Amendment Preservation Act here in the state of Missouri. And I think there's a lot of confusion about this. So I'm going to uh, throw this out there several times over the course of the program so that listeners understand the Second Amendment Preservation Act has not been rejected. The Supreme Court said they don't want to hear the case yet. They want it to wend its way through the lower courts to see where it goes. So there is a stay in place. It can't be enforced until a final decision is made, and it's still uh, it's still being considered. It has not been rejected. The courts did not say, "Oh no, the Second Amendment Preservation Act is uh, is is just unconstitutional." All they said was, "We're not hearing the case. We're going to let it wend its way through the lower courts." So, uh, have you guys heard about this? Yeah, uh, yeah. I was just looking at that uh, at that yesterday, and like you said, they just. They basically said they're not going to allow it to be enforced while we're waiting for the courts to hear the arguments. Yeah. So it will stay as unenforceable until it goes through court. So, yeah, everybody take a deep breath. Uh, you know, I know uh, two of the attorneys that worked on this piece of legislation, and they're pretty confident that uh, it's going to stand up uh, eventually that we will win. And it's kind of uh, bizarre why they've uh, so far been able to put a stay on this. It's not that they've uh, declared it somehow is in conflict with the Constitution, that it's poorly written, or that it doesn't for some reason work. No, their objection is the motivation, essentially, behind writing the law, which is really bizarre. Like, you know, it's it's practical, workable, but we're still not going to do it because you wrote it for the wrong reason. <laughs> it always comes down to just one one judge sitting there getting to make the decisions. Yeah, who can figure? <laughs> uh, there is a, a video of a jewelry store, and I, I know I should not, in my mind, be celebrating uh, what I witnessed here, but I'm celebrating it. <laughs> I, I don't care if it's, if it's wrong or not. Uh, about uh, three or four thieves walk into a jewelry store with hammers, and they even brought those plastic tubs, you know, like the the U.S. mail carriers use oh, yeah. to carry the mail. They walk in, uh, they're wearing hoodies and masks, and they take their hammers and they start smashing the glass and scooping the jewelry into the plastic tubs. And one of the employees of the jewelry store whips out a firearm and starts shooting. They couldn't get out of there fast enough. They dropped the tubs, they dropped the hammers, they just stumbled over each other trying to get the hell out of there. The reason I celebrated is because I'm thinking, they're not coming back to this jewelry store. Uh, but there is a problem because they weren't attacking anybody in the store that I could see in the video. So Jordan, your former law enforcement, what do you think? Um, is the fact that they're wielding hammers and blatantly 
you know, uh, smashing and grabbing a threat to people in there? Oh, it depends on how well you write a report. I mean, it's, <laughs> the, depending on what state we're talking about, but that'll be the, the uh, reasonable person standard. Would a reasonable person felt that their life or the life of somebody else's was an immediate threat, uh, was an immediate danger uh, due to whatever these people were doing, whether they were had any type of weapons or not. Um, so that that is going to be the standard, at least in Missouri. That'd be the standard they'd be held to. So you're probably not okay, but at the same time, you want to stop them. It's your right to be able to stop them. Are you going to just go up and start a fist fight with someone or push someone or try to grab a hold of someone that has, you know, swinging hammers, especially when there's multiple of them? But pr- probably not, because how, how is that going to end for you? But uh, that's why it's always nice to have that uh, that other less lethal option i don't want a monday morning quarterback anybody but i know like in all of our stores and stuff we have lethal options but we also have less lethal options um so that that in between uh, uh can be taken uh your 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 oc sprays your pair sprays stuff like that it's amazing what that will do to people um and get them you know thinking about something else for a minute and see how they react but given just the information you got that's gonna be a hard one especially if they're in a coastal state i'd, I'd assume they're going to jail if they're in the midwest they might be all right <laughs> it's not what it's There's where. A 50-50 shot there. Yeah, that's yep. bizarre. Uh, here's it's just rewarding to see them get driven out in utter fear. The hubris of going and stealing something from somebody, the hubris of you know damaging their property for your own personal greed. Uh, it really offends me, and that they got driven out of there. Uh, in the most cowardly way, I just loved it. <laughs> it does make you feel good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> you see a few videos of people fighting, finally fighting back against all this mass retail theft, and most of it's just physical, using you know hands and stuff like that. But it just, oh, it brings the the best of smiles to your face to know people are finally going to stop taking that. And because uh, the cops can't fix it for you, doesn't even matter if we had a fully staffed. Uh, police division and they were doing everything we wanted them to it they can't stop that you've got to have people that will stop most of that and uh, it is so it's so nice to watch that my my i've got two schools of thought on this one of them is that if we start fighting back uh, that perhaps it will curtail these attacks like geez they're starting to really beat the snot out of us here maybe we shouldn't be doing this the other side of me thinks if you step it up they'll step it up Maybe they Very come true. in. Huh? Very true. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Uh, maybe they step it up, uh, and then it gets even deadlier. Yeah. I'd say if you if we begin to fight back as a community, people are going to get hurt. Good guys, too. Uh, not, not very many, because most people aren't willing to do that kind of violence on each other. But, uh, yeah, it, it will. But uh, if you live in the other, you just you, you end up where we're at. People walking in and stealing millions of dollars worth of stuff and everybody just whipping out their phones and recording it instead of doing something, anything. It's uh, it's it's sad. I, I think if, if you're asking me on the fly right now, I'm, I'm going to go with the, uh, the first. I'm going to say it's time <laughs> to start doing something back and not just let these people do it because they will never stop, mm-hmm. never stop. So I, I don't know if you guys have caught any of these other videos, but there are a couple of videos I've seen where they, uh, the bad guy comes in and uh, the person behind the counter hits a button and the doors, you know, the, the gates drop and the bad guy is stuck 
in the store, and the employee is, you know, in a storeroom somewhere, a safe room or something. I don't know where it were. Uh, the one I'm thinking of, it was, a, I think, a woman. Uh, she hit the button, backed off, and this guy was throwing himself against the wall. He was trying everything to get out of the building, and they wouldn't let him out till the cops showed up. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Great. And to see him whimpering and crying and trying to, to get out is like, well, you... You arrogant SOB, you, you should have thought about that before you, you know, tried to rob the place. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, all right, uh, 10 millimeter versus 9 millimeter. Uh, the story is at the Armory Life uh, revisiting the handgun cartridge debate. We'll kind of kick that around with the guys from Powderhorn Guns and Archery. We'll do that in just a few minutes on... Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Powderhorn Guns and Archery on board with us. We got Jared and Jordan. J&J. Normally that would be Johnson and Johnson, but no, not now. It's Jared and Jordan. <laughs> you're, um, an, you're an unusual man sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's, yeah, those eccentricities are allowed at my age. <laughs> uh, Colonel Cooper uh, loved the 45 in the 1911. He felt there was room for some new options. He wanted a new cartridge that could have the same ballistic performance at 50 yards as the 45 ACP had at 25. The 10 millimeter auto was the result. It got introduced in 1983. It sort of got hot and faded, got hot and faded. Now it's kind of gotten hot again, the 10 millimeter. Uh, tons and tons of people are making. Uh, 10 millimeter firearms. Springfield Armory alone has seven in in 10, uh, 10 millimeter. Uh, the Ronin 1911, the XDM Elite, uh, the XDM Elite Compact. Uh, the I mean, they're 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 all over the place. Everybody is starting to really get on board with it now. Nine millimeter has typically sort of ruled the roost for the last several years. Uh, and I'll, uh, I'll 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 go to Jared to, to get confirmation on that. It's probably still the round that you sell the most of. Am I right? Oh, well, wholeheartedly. I mean, that is probably the the number one sold uh, round in any handgun that I that I sell in the shop. Ten millimeter is going to be a close second now. Forty five ACP is going to be a third. Forty is kind of just went eh, down and down and down. You know, one of my uh, first semi-automatics was uh, a Springfield uh, uh, XD and 40. And I liked the gun, but interestingly, uh, the 1911 in the 45 was easier to shoot. It uh, was. So I switched, and I'm, I'm kind of like, why why even bother with the 40? I either go to 45 or stick with the 9, but, but that's beside the point. We're looking at the 10 millimeter. And my question is... Do you guys think that the 10 millimeter is a superior round? Are there any drawbacks to it? Uh, and I'll start with Jared. Uh, the only drawback I see is most of the time, 10 millimeter is going to be right back to 40. You're not going to be able to carry as many rounds as a 9 millimeter on certain models. But it, it, it's, it's still a very vile round. I would consider it more of a something I would take with me if I was going out in bear country or, or something like that. But for self-defense, I still run a 9mm all day long. You, you wouldn't think 1mm would make that much of a difference, but there's a big difference in how much powder is behind it, uh, stopping force, etc. Uh, Jordan, 
Where do you stand? Is it is it uh, superior to the nine? In what? There's, I guess there's so many arguments on it. No, no. if you're talking about self-defense, no. Uh, number one thing is you need more rounds. It's always going to be you need more rounds. It's it's 1,000% always going to be you need more rounds. Now, to the 45, I think it is um, slightly more usable for self-defense just because you typically, in a full-size frame, will get one or two extra bullets, which go back to my previous statement of need more rounds, need more rounds, need more rounds. <laughs> um, as far as the ballistics in this and how much energy does it carry and how much weight does it have and how much will it penetrate through four layers of denim and all this stuff that all these TikTok Terries go through, um, I, I don't know. I don't really care. Um, I, I tell you, I, I would 100% carry a 22 long rifle pistol if they made one that was had more than 10 rounds that had a, a reliable feed mechanism. And uh, I would 100% carry that because if I could put 60 rounds of 22 in my pocket, oh, man. That'd be awesome. You know, I had a, um, I, I love the 1911, as everybody knows. I've, I've said it over and over again. I love it because of the trigger pull. I just think it's perfect for me. Uh, but my, the downside was always how many rounds you could carry. I mean, you know, if you got lucky, you could have seven. Uh, then I found a double stack 1911. Oh, mm -hmm. the P14. Oh, great thing. Yeah, yeah. Now I got everything I want. I got plenty of rounds. Uh, and it, a friend of mine uh, and uh, my firearms trainer was Tim Oliver, who used to s suggest that you you couldn't have too many rounds unless you were swimming or on fire. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, uh, the more the merrier. Yep. So, so I was kind of thrilled with that. But I, I think the 9mm uh, is more flexible. You can get it in more uh, firearms, different types of firearms uh, that, that suit you, that you shoot uh, well. Uh, so it's more flexible, and I think advances in 9mm make it really effective um, uh, for stopping power. I, I think so. And, you know, the 45s, the 10mm are going to have what, usually what people call more penetration or more kinetic energy. I, I, I'm not a believer in that making much of a difference because if, if your argument is that because they're really big or it's a big animal or a big person or they've got all this clothing or anything's on or they're not feeling pain then it doesn't matter. They're not going to bleed to death fast enough with any of those cartridges to, to stop the fight quick enough to uh, to help you. I mean, you, you talk about someone with 30, 30 holes in them from 45 uh, caliber, it's still going to take them a minute to bleed to death. And, and a lot can happen in a firefight in a minute. So you're still just talking about T-zone hits. Uh, it's the only thing that's going to shut down someone that doesn't care or doesn't feel or is a really big animal or a really big person, and you're getting soft hits, but you're not getting uh, uh, anything that shuts them down. T-zone hits are the only thing that are going to matter, and your your 9 millimeters and your other weapons still have plenty of functionality and plenty of penetration for those areas, and that that's really all that matters. Like I said, we, we've watched videos. We've seen guys suck up 30 rounds of 45 and last two minutes in a firefight, and you're like, gosh, because two minutes is a long time for what we're talking about. So you're telling me that uh, the the Desert Eagle is is not a good self defense weapon? It, oh, it, it makes a big blam if you really. Uh, so <laughs> you get some psychological appearance there because you know most of the things we're talking about are these unexpected uh, uh, occurrences, right? Uh, we're sitting here talking on the radio. We're talking about this stuff. So sometimes we talk about law enforcement. Really, we're talking about civilians on bad guys. And so all this is unexpected, sudden occurrences. It's not like we're talking about battlefield here where things go on forever and ever. I mean, totally different conversation. So since it's such an unexpected thing, I mean, everything will help. But uh, the 50, yeah, with only uh, seven rounds of capacity and uh, and it weighs 19 pounds. I think I'm going to – I think I'm going to – I do love it. It's fun to shoot, but uh, – 
I, I need more rounds. I, I just need more rounds. <laughs> you carry that in a winch, and you can <laughs> you can draw it anytime you want. That's right. Uh, Brian, I hope you got that part about the big blam. Uh, we, we can play <laughs> that later on yes. to haunt him. Uh, yeah, so I, th- I think the 9mm is uh, so flexible and so much improved. Uh, it, it's almost a the, versatile round. Yeah. Very versatile. It's almost the perfect round. Uh, are you guys familiar with compensators for concealed carry? Yeah. Yep. What do you think? Oh. <laughs> No, first, okay. You know what? First, you ought to explain what they are. Well, t- typically, it is going to be either attached to the end of the barrel, um, or it's going to be integrated into the barrel and the slide as having a, a, a an exhaust ported end that attempts uh, to control recoil. Effective? 50-50. Okay. It's one of those that... Uh, on big guns, on rifles, you, you notice a giant difference. If I go out and I shoot a 6.8, my 6.8 Western, which is a fairly large, big boom, or I shoot my 300 Win Mag, non-compensated and then compensated, it, it is a drastic difference that you can tell. Not necessarily, it's just usually you tell in felt recoil. In handguns, I've got a compensated uh, Glock 22, uh, 22C, and I've got a Glock 22. I, I never could notice a difference um in the way it either be able to repeat shots have them quicker or anything like that i I never could tell on the smaller guns now you know our popular p365s and stuff like that i have not shot enough compensated versus uncompensated to to give a really good judgment i've just never noticed a big difference but i'm a I'm, I'm, i'm an average size guy i've got larger hands so i might not be the the perfect person to ask that for uh, on, but on. I just haven't noticed much of a difference. I, but I haven't noticed it hurt anything either. So I will say this on uh, uh, most compensated guns that I've messed with, it's about tuning your ammo to the gun to help with that compensator, not just throwing normal rounds in it. So for uh, like two gun matches and everything like that, a lot of the guys will tune their ammo and to where the compensator will work for them. Straight out-of-the-box ammo, you're not going to see a significant amount of difference. I've shot uh, the Macro X, which is compensated, and then I've shot their their TAC Ops one that isn't compensated. I cannot tell enough difference with regular ammo to be able to tell you, yeah, it's good. Now, the negative side to compensators on carry pistols is Go ahead in the middle of the night in a dark alley and have to pull that gun out and shoot it. The first time, you're going to see it. The, after that, you're going to have muzzle flash, and you're going to have a couple seconds to have to see where your target is again because you just got blinded by a big flash coming out of the top of the barrel. Yeah. Um, I just uh, I just didn't seem worth it to me for a handgun. All right, we're up against the clock. We've got to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Jared and Jordan, and they are, of course, with Powderhorn Guns and Archery on Gary on Guns. Welcome. Glad to have you with us on Gary on Guns. Jared is in from Powderhorn Guns and Archery, and he brought along the kid, Jordan. He is with us as well. And uh, we've all heard this argument from the left, and, uh, and I've most recently heard it from the uh, governor of California, that there are more shootings in red states than there are in blue states. And you know, they, they've, they've got a point, Jared. There are. 
Yeah, if you're talking about deer hunting and... and <laughs> no, 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 no. Seriously, uh, there are more mass shootings in California than about any other state. But more people are shot in red states. But here's the, here's the, the twist. It's only in cities that are run by Democrats. So it's blue cities inside red states where the mass shootings or the most shootings happen. Mm. So, you know, technically they're right. They are red states. But it's because I think the bad guys congregate in, uh, in big cities that are run by Democrats. And that's what's kind of, you know, tipping the numbers. A new study comes around, they said at Bearing Arms, to claim gun control works or regarding violent crime in general. Uh, and so uh, they looked at the, at the studies and he says, I, you know, I'm not a scientist. I like to think I can see flaws in methodologies in cases, and I have. Contrary to how I... Uh, is, anyway, he says the, uh, the examples, uh, and he found uh, some of this in the Washington Examiner and other places indicate that it's not the entire state. It's concentrated just in the areas run by Democrats. And I would argue if you look at every state, when the, city, it, when the major cities uh, in those states are run by Democrats, they have unusually high uh, you know, rates of violence. That can't be. Those are gun-free zones. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can't just uh, expect the bad guys to leave their guns at the border, I guess. Doesn't work that way. When but you- that's what they're pushing. That's what they're promoting. And um, it's misleading as all hell. And that's all I wanted to point out is that it's it's just it's misleading. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, where do we stand on the uh, uh, arm braces? Uh, did that? I didn't follow that. I should have for this week's show, but I didn't. Uh, is it done? Are they legal? Are they illegal? Or no, is no, it still nothing limbo? has changed? No status has changed on it. <sighs> <laughs> it's taking a long time to get through uh, the courts, so I, I don't have much hope for it anytime soon. But uh, as of right now, the status is status quo. Well. There is some good news on the legal front. Comes out of California. Their quote-unquote assault (laughs) weapons ban has once again been uh, uh, decided as unconstitutional. U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez uh, delivered a rebuke uh, to the state of California uh, just weeks after declaring the state's ban on large-capacity magazines are unconstitutional this time. It was the state's ban on assault weapons that was before the judge. In a case known as Miller v. Bonta, Benitez was unsparing in his criticism of the law, which he says bars ordinary Californians from possessing commonly owned firearms that are protected by the language of the Second Amendment. The left must hate this guy in California. (laughs) Really, they must despise this guy. Because uh, he keeps shooting them down, and he, and he and the Supreme Court backs him up. So you know, another one, another one uh, bites the dust. 
other states keep trying this nonsense too. They don't. They just won't give up. Uh, and, and the AR-15, I can't think. Is there a rifle that outsells the AR-15 at Powderhorn Guns and Archery? Now, yes. Uh, if you uh, if you took the last fifteen years, eh, as far as long guns go, probably not. But over the last couple of years, the AR's just yeah, it's it's tanked off. No, nobody's really buying very many of those anymore, um, and we're we're selling other stuff now. But it, uh, I would say, if you look at the last fifteen years, it was it was definitely. If not the top-selling rifle, it was one of the top-selling rifles. All right, now I'm curious. What rifle are they buying in its stead? <laughs> you, you just don't have people buying that kind of stuff anymore because um, they overbought, right? And then we had 2020, 2021, 2022, and then everybody had tons of money that the government kept giving us, and uh, then they really overbought and because they thought they'd go away. Oh, Biden's going to get rid of them. Biden's gonna, and he's tried. I'll give him that. But they haven't gone anywhere. And so I think it was just finally people paid too much for too long and bought too many, and now we are saturated. And so that market has gone from the average AR being, oh, $700 to $800, and now we're back down and selling some $400 new ones and some uh, $500 new ones, and they sit there for a while now. So it was just a, we flooded the market. You know, I've only got uh, – uh, well, never mind. I, I don't have <laughs> – I well, lost them in a boating accident, right? Yeah, I had two, and, and then that horrible boating accident. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe I should, at those prices I should go out. But, you know, it, it, it strikes me is that you could get the, the, the least expensive AR-15, and then as time goes by, slowly add to it until you have built what you think is the perfect rifle. Yeah. That's kind that, of the- so versatile kind of the fun thing with those because so many people make the more or less interchangeable parts uh between those just like the 1911 everything else you can add you can just you can just keep tinkering and adding this and changing that screw out and changing this post and this buffer and this spring and yeah you you can really play with those a lot they're kind of they're kind of fun if you like tinkering well who doesn't <laughs> you know uh, when you're talking about uh, firearms uh, we love to make them perfect for ourselves that's right that's right uh, and you can do that with uh, many of these things <laughs> i will uh, say pistol carbines are probably starting to yeah. pick up a little bit more than anything else uh pistol round car cartridge uh carbines those are probably starting to take off a little bit more I'm going to uh, do a refresh on the story we started yeah, with right. because I know that people continuously, it, 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 you know, they're constantly tuning in. And many of them by now have heard that the Supreme Court has issued a statement on our Second Amendment Preservation Act. And I'm going to keep repeating because I keep getting messages. I mean, I got text messages. I got email messages. So I know this is hot on everybody's mind. The Supreme Court did not kill the Second Amendment Preservation Act. It's still being considered, just not by them, not by the Supreme Court. They want it to go through the appeals process as it normally would. They don't want to jump, pardon the expression, jump the gun uh, and and uh, take it on right now. They're hoping that, you know, a couple more uh, appeals from now it'll be done. But it is still viable and it Probably, uh, at least I think, it will eventually uh, become the law of the state. So, you know, 
if somebody sends you a message and tells you, oh my, it's, it's dead, the Supreme Court killed it, no. They just let the stay, the stay of execution, the, the, you know, the temporary hold on the law continue until it's gone through uh, the appeals process more thoroughly. And I know that uh, we're going to continue to hear uh, people, uh, you know, questioning that. Uh, 874-9390, toll-free number 800-529-5572. That gets you in. You can also go to GaryNolan.com, send a message. We'll get that. Hold on a second, Brian, because uh, FNN, FN has uh, decided to open up uh, a plant here in the United States. Did you guys see this? They broke ground um, on what is going to be, uh, it, it's going to be in South Carolina. Okay. And, you know, for years... I wanted uh, the FN five seven yeah. until I got the the uh, the five seven that I have now. Except for their bullpup, I'm not crazy about buying anything from them. I, I think they came to the table too late. Wouldn't it have been better for them to have opened a plant here fifteen years ago? They definitely would have hit the market, uh, hit that uh, that surge a little bit better, but. Uh because they, they go in and out of popularity. But some of their bullpup designs are way better than anything else that's out there. I agree. Yeah. Some of the P2000, the FS2000, um, and even some of their pistols all the way back to uh, some of the old FNs. It's, they make really good stuff. Um, they had the 509, which was popular. They've had a few. And uh, we've been selling their pistols. They just didn't keep the market like some of the other ones did. Well, the first 5.7 uh, didn't have the greatest trigger. Uh, and friends of mine who bought those uh, had them reworked. Uh, then they did improve the trigger, and now the triggers are much better. But now there's a whole bunch more competition yeah. in that range, uh, the, in the five seven pistol uh, range. And there are others uh, making five point uh, five seven um, rifles. Uh, the round is is starting to uh, you know gain some ground. I think they would have been better if they had come here years ago. Uh, still, they make a tour, and the bullpup is, do you have any of those in stock, by the way? I don't Just, think I have any in stock. I had one in Warrensburg not too long ago, but I don't think I have any right now. You had one in Warrensburg. So yeah, you would let me know. Them, I can still get them. <laughs> you, you'd let me know if you had one. I would. I would. Just All for right. you. That I would appreciate it. <laughs> All right. We got show and tell coming up and a bunch more on, on uh, Gary on Guns. If you want to send me a message, go to GaryNolan.com. It'll pop up in studio. Toll-free number is 800-529-5572. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us and uh, glad to be with you. Jared is in along with Jordan from Powderhorn Guns and Archery. Why don't you give them the address in case, because we got show and tell coming up, and people may want to stop by and pick up some of the firearms we're going to talk about in a few minutes. It's 1915 Paris Road, Suite 103. Yeah, one of those rifles may not be available by the time you get there, <laughs> if I can help it. Um, there is a lot of there are a lot of people who are just they can't understand how it is that uh, they were that states were able to sue gun manufacturers. Uh, Remington, uh, which went bankrupt, uh, reached a seventy-three million dollar settlement. Uh, with uh, one of these cases, and it turns out that they were going after the advertising. That that was their their hook that they were trying to get these hands these guns in the hands of of uh, I guess the bad guys. 
Uh, the lawsuit by families of Sandy Hook school shooting victims was an attempt to get around industry protections for criminal misuse under the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act by using creative arguments on gun marketing to a sympathetic, read biased, Connecticut State uh, Supreme Court. Although the firearm was bought and owned by the mother of the shooter, not the shooter himself, political hacks at the Connecticut Supreme Court in a 4-3 ruling allowed the lawsuit to proceed. The story is at bearing arms. Here is what they uncovered. This is what made it, and this is hard to believe, but this is what made it uh, so difficult for the uh, manufacturer, at Re- the folks at Remington, to kill this. New documents reveal gunmaker Remington signed a confidential deal in 2009 to get its products into first-person shooter video games and establish a brand awareness among new consumers uh, and the new consumer base of young potential shooters. This is called product placement. Everybody does product placement. General Motors does it. Uh, General Foods does it. Um, Everybody does it. If you can get your product into a movie, do you, do you guys remember uh, E.T., the movie E.T.? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they they originally went to M&M's and said, we want to use your M&M's on, on screen uh, for uh, E.T. And, and, and M&M's said, no, we don't want to be associated with this, you know, alien creature. So they went to, and I can't remember the other candy maker that made something similar to M&M's. But they went to this other candy maker. Huh? Do you I know who it, Skittles. No, it wasn't Skittles. It wasn't Skittles? No. Man, it's it was, been a while. I have to watch it. was something movie. very similar to M&M's, but it wasn't M&M's. Anyway, the other candy maker said, yeah. And their sales went through the roof. The people at M&M's were probably beating their head against the wall. That was uh, Reese's Pieces. Was it Reese's? Yeah, that makes... Uh, yeah. So this gives you an idea of the the, uh, impact of product placement. But that doesn't mean that they were marketing to fat people to cause heart disease. They were just letting people know about the product. And that's what was going on here with Remington and these video games. It was just a way to let people know. And by the way, it didn't result in an increase in sales. They got no bump from this. But... It made it look as though they were marketing to kids. And that's how they became vulnerable. The insanity of it all. Yeah. But we've laid the groundwork for all that with the tobacco companies, with the Johnson and Johnson, uh, with all of these things. We've, we've, we've laid the groundwork for advertising being the entry into being able to sue a manufacturer almost out of business. Um, and, and that's the that's the standard entry point. I mean, it's just, it really is. Yeah, the the whole Joe Camel thing was nonsense, <laughs> uh, but it did open the door. You're yeah. exactly right. Yep. Billions of dollars. It's it's crazy. But Remington didn't lose. My understanding didn't didn't lose any lawsuit. They settled. They settled. Yeah, they settled. but and but people, most people hated it. Yes, and I as as a as a guy who runs several businesses, 
it becomes a business decision, and it has to. Otherwise, you will run your businesses out of money. And it becomes a, what's it going to cost me to defend it if I win? Well, it's going to cost you $300 million for our firm to defend you for the next six years going through these court battles. How much can we settle for? $73 million. Well, business decision. And I, the, those of us that, that go, gosh, but it's you got to fight for the right thing. We say that when it's other people's money. When it's, when it's your money, you really have to, to think about it, and you've got to make business decisions. And so, Yeah, but doesn't this lead to losing more money down the road? Eh, maybe. Maybe not. But I will tell you, everybody that runs that stuff is going to do it with the same, whether it be a huge lawsuit like this or lawsuit from a former employee, anything like that. It You have to take emotion out of it, and it has to be, you have to make that by a business decision. And you know, nobody else stepped up. I mean, I don't think the NRA stepped up. I don't think gun owners of America, nobody stepped up to go, hey, Remington, we'll help you. We'll help you fight this. We'll help you fit the bill because, you know, what's right is right. And uh, nobody else does that. They talk so, a lot. So but, so they can just blackmail anybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, dude, that is the way the system is set up, 100%. Their truth has nothing to do with it. It is only who has the either most amount of paperwork and who feels like paying the, the fees the longest. The lawyers get to keep going to the bank, and everybody else just suffers through it. McDonald's and the coffee. And I mean, it, it, you know, I wonder if, if it is... Tort uh, reform. Yeah, if, if that's what we need. If we need to be able to... Uh, demand uh, lawyers' fees and court costs if you do this, take this to court, and you lose. And you can, but it's so hard to prove. It is one of the, the, the malicious prosecution and things like that is one of the hardest things in the world to prove, and you just you just can't. Um, it, I shouldn't say you can't, but I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I'll tell you, it's very rare that you can collect on someone after a malicious prosecution from somebody. Someone claims they did something. You know I didn't do that. No, I didn't do that. It's so hard because it becomes so much of it becomes just a, a matter of opinion. I just wonder if there'd be fewer lawsuits filed <laughs> if you thought, gee, if we lose this, yep. we're going to end up brokering the Ten Commandments, paying off uh, their attorney's fees. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it, though? <laughs> Quick break. We're going to come back with Show and Tell on Gary on Guns.